I've got a lot of things I could tell you about him. He deserves it, don't he? Mm-hmm. He's told so many stories on me. Okay. Psalms 145, starting with verse 4 through 6. It says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. That is the theme for our girlfriend connection. It is to proclaim the greatness of God to every generation. It is my voice speaking to the older and the older voice speaking to me. It's my voice speaking to the younger and the younger speaking to me of the greatness of God. And he is great. Let's give him praise one more time. Hallelujah to the name. This exciting day happens on September the 27th here at the church. It starts at 4.30. It is a day that is cram-packed from that moment on from 4.30 to 9 o'clock or later that night. But we will have a light supper. We are going to be having uh, uh, vendors, uh, shopping for us women, and there's going to be a prayer room. We have an excellent speaker, Allison Allen, who is coming from Nashville. She has a heart for God and a heart for women to know more about God. And you do not want to miss her speaking that night. Um, I'm trying to make sure I get everything on this list because it's important. We will start. The doors will open to the sanctuary at 6 o'clock. You will want to get in here quickly and get your seat because we have a pre-show. We have uh, fun and we have giveaways. And at 7 o'clock, we will start praise and worship. And then we will have our service at that time. It is proclaimed. And I want to tell you all of us, not just women, but we all have a story that is sitting here today. Maybe last year at this time, you didn't think you would make it to this time, but you are here, and you have a story to proclaim about God's goodness. You might not even been here last year at this time, but you are here now, and you have a story to proclaim about God's goodness. And I believe that when we leave here on the 27th of September, we will all be ready to share the greatness of God, and we will go out and, and we will win others to the Lord. One more thing. I've already told Pastor Miller that he's on granddad duty that day. I said, now, Kent, you're going to have to help us with all those grandkids. And what was your answer? Thumbs up. He was ready to go. So dads, husbands, grandpas, make sure your women get here. You are able to watch those kitties for a little bit. So make sure your women get here also. The Lord bless you. I like that kissing. Amen. You know, uh, she said she asked me to be watching over. She didn't ask me. She told me. Amen. Have you ever had wives? To, she put me on the spot while I'm, can I have a little bit of time? What am I supposed to say about that? She does me that every morning. She'll get up and she'll say, do I look good? Yeah, you look great. Oh, I do not. Why are you saying that? <laughs> that kind of stuff. Do I look pudgy? Does this look in style? 
she tells me, does this go together? And then when I put on my clothes, you don't pick out your own clothes, you can't pick nothing out. Well, why ask me if it goes together then? <laughs> Amen? Praise the Lord. We are glad to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? I said, we are glad to be in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. I am glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Brother Zach's going to come up and he's going to do our declaration for us. He was supposed to come up before me and I jumped the gun on him. So come on up, Brother Zach. He's going to do that for us. So would you stand for the declaration, please? Let's say this together by faith. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Lord, it is truly good to be in your house. Anoint this word. Anoint our pastor this morning. Speak to us. Stir our hearts. Give us compassion for this community this town, for the lost. Stir us, God. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Inspire these laborers. Let us build your church on this rock. You say you will build your church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. We speak that in faith today. We believe in your word. We believe in your power. Anoint pastor once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. My text today is found in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 7 through 9. Very, very familiar passages of Scripture. We're not going to get into anything deep or new, no new revelations or anything like that. We're going to be having some uh, reminders, and we're going to go a little bit of a different direction than what we normally preach in these verses of Scripture. Galatians 6, verse 7 through 9, the apostle Paul says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall reap of the Spirit life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, but in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We shall reap if we faint not. Amen. Brother Bill, would you ask the Lord's blessing on the word?
Amen. A double blessing of prayer today. Now, as you all know, we have devoted the month of September to a, a, a theme called the harvest or the preaching of the harvest. Every message that you will hear for the next four weeks will be on things that will apply to the reaping of the harvest around us here at the Poplar Bluff area and as a palace of praise. We'll be, we'll be teaching on things and talking about things like witnessing, planting, soul, sowing, telling your story, prayer, evangelizing, relationships, and etc. As a matter of fact, as I preach, you'll see a theme that we have developed on the background on the screen behind us called Harvest 573. And as we all know, 573 is the area code for most of Southeast Missouri. It speaks of a geographic area where we have influence and we have, where we have the possibility of harvest. How many likes that? Isn't that a powerful look? We believe in a great harvest to come, a harvest of souls for the kingdom of God. There are a lot of reasons that we don't reap a harvest, and yet Jesus said it, and I'll probably be very repetitious in this in the next several weeks. But Jesus said in John 4, 35, Say ye not that there are four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. They're white, they're ripe, and they're ready unto harvest. Jesus made it clear to us that the lost harvest is not a harvest's fault, but it's a reaper's fault. The harvest is ready. He said that the harvest is ripe. And people can say what they ever want to say, but the truth of the matter is the sinner can hide behind all the smoke screens that he wants to. But as a whole, the sinner wants a savior. The oppressed want to be free. The bound want to be delivered. The the depressed want to be relieved. The hopeless want hope. And the fearful want peace. And the heavy laden want rest for their souls. And regardless of what kind of front that they put on, regardless of what kind of image that they may portray, I want you to know that the lost really wants to be saved. They may fight you, they may oppose you, they may mock at you, they may put up a front, but down deep inside there's a longing for every sinner to be saved by grace, by Jesus Christ. Lost humanity is crying out, it's reaching out, it's wanting and waiting for someone to show them the way. And the truth of the matter is there is only one way to salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through me. And anybody that tries to go through a different door than Jesus, he said, is the same as a thief and a robber. That there is only one name under heaven given among men to whereby people can be saved, folks, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Savior. Jesus Christ is Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There is no other name to be saved by. Can you say amen to that? The problem, according to Jesus, is there's no laborers engaged in the reaping of that harvest that's ripe and ready. Did you know that the biggest majority of Christians have never won one single convert to the Lord Jesus Christ? That, when I seen them statistics, that really bothered me. As a matter of fact, what is more alarming, and that is a big majority of Christians have never shared their faith or told their testimony of salvation to one single person. They've never sat down with somebody and said, let me share my salvation story story with you. Let me sit down and share my testimony to you. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh of you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The Bible tells us that we are to be ready to give them an explanation of the hope that lies within us. As a matter of fact, you know, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and 10 says that if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ 
Christ and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You cannot even be saved if you don't make a confession that Jesus Christ is your Lord. You have to have a testimony. What did Revelations tells us? That we're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. One of the things that I want you to understand that every time you share your testimony, you are becoming an overcomer because it reminds you of the time when you was lost and undone, when you were fearful and where you were and where you were away from God, but God came and found you and you gave your life to Christ. And every time you share that story, it reminds you of the marvelous grace and the marvelous power of God to redeem you. There are a lot of reasons that why believers do not engage themselves in the harvest. You know, just as the sinner hides behind the smoke screens to cover up their desire to be saved, even so we Christians hide behind our religious mask to cover up the feelings of inadequacy of our own lives. In today's world, the saint is hiding from the sinner as much as the sinner is hiding from the saint. How can we get people saved like that, my friend? As a whole, church members are a little uncomfortable being around sinners. Isn't that a shame? But we are to seek out the sinner according to the word of the Lord, like our Lord and Savior did. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Right before Jesus told that the harvest is ripe, he said something in the previous verse. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That he understood that there was a mission. He understood that there was a call, that there was a mandate on his life when he came to the earth and that was for one reason and one reason only and that was to reap the harvest that was white and ready. The church is about to be, the church is to be about the father's business and the father's business is what? He sent his son for one purpose, that the world might be saved. The church is not engaged in the harvest because of several things. Intimidation, fear, inferiority complexes, low self-esteem, lack of faith, lack of confidence, a sense of unworthiness. There's a lack of preparation, feeling of a lack of inabilities. There's shyness. And we go on and on and on and on of the different excuses and the reasons of why we give that we cannot share our faith with somebody. But did you know if these things stop us, listen to me, then it is an indication that we are not perfected in our discipleship and we have a flawed faith that needs improved ourselves. It shows us where we're at as individuals in discipleship and we need help if we cannot share our faith with somebody about our salvation. We as Christians are to be able to give a hope, give a reason for the hope that lies within us at any given moment. Why should someone believe us if we can't even believe it ourselves enough to share it? Can I have an amen? I know that these scriptures that I've chosen in my text does not seem to be relative to a message about soul winning. However, I beg to differ with you because I, I want us to see in this passage, with the, with the, I want us to view this passage with the view of the harvest of souls in mind and not the harvest of reaping spiritual blessings and benefits for ourselves like it's normally preached. Let's take a look at the scriptures. Let's see a different approach. Let's look at these scriptures with the lens of the harvest in mind. When Albert Einstein taught at Princeton University, he wrote a series of complex mathematical equations upon a board. And after class, he left a note for a cleaning person over each of those equations that says erase these all but one. And the one that he did not want erased, he wanted it in front of the class and he wanted to remain all of the time. And that equation was two plus two equals four. He drew a circle around that equation and said, this is never to be removed. And even 
even though there were complex, many complex mathematical equations all around it, he understood that two plus two equals four was one of the most important ones of them all. And you see, while we may ponder and make our excuses to why the harvest is not one for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can say, well, we're living in a different world than we were 50 years ago. It's harder to win souls. I've heard that excuse. We can say, well, you know, they don't, the world don't want to hear us. They're not interested in us. I've heard that as an excuse. And we can make every excuse saying, well, the world's so different. We don't have a clue of how to win the younger generation. We don't have a clue how to reach into the culture. We don't have a, world, a clue how to even operate in this society. It's just so different. Yet the truth of the matter is, while we ponder around the mysteries of life, yet there remains one basic truth. Two plus two equals four, regardless of what timetable that we're on and what culture that we're living in. It doesn't matter if you lived in the 1800s or whether you're living in the year 20, uh, 2019. Two plus two still equals four. And can I tell you, the same is with the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord remains truth to every generation. Can I have an amen to that? This is why the psalmist said in Psalms 105, he said, for the Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. It's everlasting. And he said, and his truth endureth to all generations. The word of God tells me that his truth will endure to all generations. And it's time that we as a church, we as believers, quit buying into that age-old lie that the devil has fed us. Regardless of what one may believe, God's word will remain relevant even in today's time. It will remain relevant to all generations. I have an amen. His truth will never lose its ability to reach the lost, nor will it ever lose its power to redeem. God's truth, God's word will never lose its influence. Hallelujah. This is why that the psalmist said in Psalms 119 verse 9, wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? How can he cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. Regardless of what times are dictating to us as a church, the word of God has never and never will become outdated. Hallelujah. It was Peter that said, I'm about to preach. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. First Peter said in First Peter 1 and 25, the word of the Lord endureth forever and ever and ever and ever. His word never changes. Isaiah 40 and 8 says the flower will fade and the, the grass will wither and the flower faded, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. The word of God never needs consideration of being revised, nor does it need to ever be altered. Matter of fact, Revelations 22 verse 19 says, if any man take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in the book. We can't change the book to satisfy a, a society that's out of whack. I'm here to tell you that the word of God can speak for itself and it still will be relevant in the 21st century. Can I have an amen? I don't need to change. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. The word of the Lord is the only thing that will be able to stand the test of time. It's the only thing that will remain forever. It's the only thing that if you mess around with it, he said, I'll take your, uh, I'll take his way, I'll, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things that are written in it. You cannot change the word of God or you'll be judged and cursed. Can I have an amen? That's not once in grace, always in grace. Can I have an amen? 
The word of the Lord is the only thing that will be able to stand the test of time. Uh, Psalms 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That's why that Jesus said in John 8 and 32, Know the truth, and it's the truth that will set a man free. That's why that John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy word, and thy word is truth. Uh, this is why that the psalmist said in Psalms 19 and 7, The law of the Lord is perfect. Say Perfect. It's perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And there is no conversions without the preaching and the proclamation and the speaking of the word of God. Can I have an amen? The word of God will never lose its power. That's why that 1 Peter 1, 23 says, you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The word of God is eternal. It's everlasting. It is infallible. Hallelujah. It's quick and powerful and sharper than two. It's able to convict. It's able to convince. It's able to win people to Jesus Christ. Amen. In order to have a harvest, we have to proclaim the word of God. People want to ignore it. People want to water it down. People want to change it. People want to say it's irrelevant. People say it's outdated. But I'm telling you, it's only the only hope that we have of salvation. Palace of praise, never buy into that old lie and back off and try somehow to water down the gospel in order that you might offend somebody. It's the offense of the gospel that pricks men's conscience and brings them to the reality of the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? Jesus said in John 5 and 39, he said, search the scriptures for in them you have eternal life and they're the ones that testify of me. He said, the scriptures will bear record of who I am and it'll bring eternal life to you. Proverbs 4 and 22 says, for they are life unto those that find them, talking about the words of the Lord, health to all of their flesh. I like what Paul said, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to win the lost. Can I have an Amen. The truth of the matter is there are many reasons why the harvest isn't won. As a matter of fact, the most basic and important law for success in life is the law of the harvest. I want to talk to you about the law of the harvest. If we don't understand as Christians how to win a harvest, then we really don't understand the basic laws for successful Christian living. Oh, it's getting quiet. If our basic understanding of the laws of the harvest are missing, then we will fail in everything we do because everything is tied to the laws of the harvest. The success of the church is gauged by its ability to win people for the Lord Jesus Christ. The success of the church is not about how good a singing we have, how good of a stir that we have, how much we get blessed around the altar, how much someone runs an aisle, how many people fall out in a given service. That is not the measure of success. The measure of success in the kingdom of God is how many new people bow their knee and confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the gauge that tells us if we're successful as a church. When harvest is not successful, then nothing else is successful because everything rises and falls around a harvest. Everything depends upon harvest in the natural and even in the spiritual. Think of what would happen if there was no harvest whatsoever around the world or even in the United States alone. Think of what would happen if there, if, if there was no harvest at all, absolutely none in this country. Think of the devastation that would happen. The food supply, the economy would collapse. The world markets would collapse. Just as important as a farmer is to civilization. 
How many knows that farmers are some of the most important people on the planet of earth? If you're a farmer, you ought to be saying amen. You're important to the kingdom of God. You're important to the sustaining of life. If there's no harvest, people die. Where there's no harvest, there's famine. Where there's no harvest, there's diseases. Come on, somebody help me preach. And just as important as a farmer is in sustaining civilization, even so, that's how important you and I are to the sustaining of the spiritual kingdom of God. Amen? Just as a nation is dependent upon a harvest for its future and its survival, even so the kingdom of God is dependent upon a harvest as well. And it is is dependent upon the harvest for its well-being and for its future. Where there's no harvest, there's no provision, no light, no hope, no life, no future. That's why the Proverbs 11 and 30 says, the fruit of the righteousness, the fruit, fruit of righteousness, is a tree of life, and he that winneth sows is wise. According to Scripture, the righteous, by the performance of his duty to his neighbor, brings, as if it were, life and healing to him. By his influence, by the righteous influence upon others, by the fruit of that man or woman's own character, they are to be able to attract people by God's goodness and allure them to follow their example that they might follow them to the winning of them to the kingdom of God. That my life is to be so fruitful that my life is to be a living example, of an epistle of red of all men, that I can go out to a sinner and by my good character, by the fruit of the spirit that's in my life, entice them and allure them to follow me to where I can have influence upon them to win them to the kingdom of God. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. Let's put it this way. The righteous is to be a tree of life. They are to be a fruitful tree which delights in feeding other people from their leaves. Amen? You are to let people pull from your fruit off of your life to sustain them, to help them. We are trees of righteousness. Can I have an amen? The Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. How many want to be wise? The Bible says that the scripture, that those that win souls are not only wise, but God even allows the scripture to make wise even the simple. Wisdom is tied to the laws of the harvest. When one does not win souls, they are not wise. Did you hear that? The issues of life are connected to the principles of the law of the harvest. And when one is not harvest-minded, then they have no wisdom in the issues of life. The preservation of life is tied to the harvest. The way we treat harvest determines the outcome of everything in our life. Understand the laws of the harvest. And when we understand the laws of the harvest, it gives us a wisdom in everything that pertains to life. The laws of the harvest determines our future success or our future failure. By definition, what's a law? A law is a fixed or absolute rule that when obeyed, it yields certain results and certain fruit. And when God created the world, he established fixed and, absolutely law, and absolute laws to govern it. And without that laws, everything would be in chaos. And this is why we can study the world scientifically because we can see order, we can see pattern, we can see predictability because God rules with law. Can I have an amen? We toss toss an object up in the air, we expect it to hit the ground. Why? Because we call it the law of gravity. I throw a rock up, it's coming down. Amen? When When we board an airplane... And, you know, it's amazing, but them big monstrous airplanes, it rises us up into the clouds. You know what? That's called the law of aerodynamics. 
We study the relationships between heat and energy, and we call it the laws of thermodynamics. And there's many different kinds of things like that. There are laws that govern our health, our happiness, our relationships with each other, our relationships with God. Even the Bible is referred to as the law of God. The Bible tells us in Joshua 1.8, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. The Bible says that if I don't keep the laws, I'm not going to be prosperous and successful. It ain't about, a, it, this ain't about works. It's about obedience. It's about obeying what God has got out in front of It's God's grace that gives you the ability to be able to accept his law as truth. Can I have an amen? The Bible has a lot to say about the law of the harvest. Let's just go through some scriptures. Job 4 and 8. As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble, they reap it. Psalms 126 verse 5 says, those who sow in tears, they're going to reap with songs of joy. Hosea 8 and 7 says, they that sow to the wind, they're going to reap a whirlwind. Hosea 10 12 says, sow to yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of the unfailing love. Break up your un, unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. Luke 6 and 38 says, give, it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give unto your bosom. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, he that soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall also reap bountifully. That's laws of harvest. There are three principles that Paul teaches us in Galatians about the laws of harvest. I'll probably get to one or two of them. Number one, you get out of life what you put into it. You get out of life what you put, quit wanting something for nothing, it ain't gonna happen. Salvation's the only thing that is free, and let me tell you, it was free to you, but it wasn't free to Jesus. It cost him a hefty price. Life is unpredictable, and we certainly cannot control everything that it deals out to us, but there is much that you and I can control that we're not controlling that we're not taking authority over, that we're not taking dominion over. As a matter of fact, most things, not all, but most things that we face today is a product or a result of our past choices and behavior. What I am reaping today is what I sowed way back in my past. Amen? We reap what we sow, whether it be good or bad, and let me say this, this don't make sense, but I'll clarify myself. We can even reap what we don't sow. If you don't sow, you don't reap. Oh, yes, you do. Because if you don't sow, you reap emptiness, loss, drought, and barrenness. Amen? If you don't sow, you're still reaping the negative of not sowing. Amen? We have to realize that once we sow something, we put law, the law of harvest into effect. If I go out here and sow seeds, I put the law of harvest into effect. Oh, God, help me preach right here. A harvest will come up with whatever I sow out. One of the truths that can be very frightening. Now listen to me. I'm going to expound on this a little bit. But one of the truths that can be very frightening as well as exciting is according to which side of the fence you're on. How many would rather be excited than frightened? Man, I got a bunch of people that are just sitting down on me here this morning. How many would rather be excited than frightened? Well, this is a statement that's either going to frighten you or it's going to excite you. Here is the statement. Once you put something in motion by sowing, you can't stop it from reaping. Whatever you sow, you can't stop it from reaping. You'll reap consequences or you'll reap blessings, one of the two. 
If you go out here and sow wild oats, I heard a story one time where a guy said, man, I went out and sowed wild oats all week long, but when I come to the house of the Lord, I went to the altar and prayed for a crop failure. (laughs) I got news for him. Just because he repented does not mean that he won't reap the consequences of his actions. You can go out and sin all you want all week and you can come to an altar and repent. And if you're true in your repentance, God will forgive you. But that does not stop what the law of harvest of what you sow, you will surely reap. Can I have an amen? Mike Burton said this last Wednesday and I about kind of shouted because it was already in my notes. And he said, sow a thought, reap a word. Sow a word, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. He said, sow a character and you'll reap a destiny. Amen. Number two, we have to realize that we reap the same kind of what we sow. You sow corn, you reap corn. You can't go out in the field and sow corn and expect to get beans. Amen. Go out and sow wheat, you're going to get wheat. Sow beans, you're going to get beans. And if you sow tares, you're going to get tares. You sow nothing, you're not going to get anything. That's the law of the harvest. That's where we're at. If we sow in the flesh, we're going to reap of the flesh corruption. If we sow in the spirit, we're going to reap of the spirit life everlasting. We always look at the law of sowing and reaping as elements tied to our character, to our behavior, to our actions, to our lack of actions. But I want to remind us, if we never sow in the hearts of our lost loved ones, we will never see them saved. That's where I want to take this scripture. Most of the time, our focus on sowing and reaping is on money, wealth, prosperity. But in our minds, we put very little emphasis on the harvest of sows. Every time we hear this, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If we sow in money areas, if we give, it's going to be given back to us. If we sow blessing, we're going to give back. But have you ever thought that when you begin to sow the seeds of the word of God and you begin to place them in a man's and woman's heart, you're going to reap what you sow. Isn't that powerful? They may fight, they may kick, they may reject, they may ignore, they may cuss, they may fight, they may slander. I'm here to tell you that a sower went out to sow and he sowed seeds and even those that landed among thorns brought forth productivity. Those that landed among stones brought forth productivity. Those that sown within the heart brought productivity. 30 and 60 and 100 fold. I'm here to tell you, you just sow the seed and it's God's job then to take that seed and mature it and develop it and cause men and women to come running to an altar and give their life to Jesus Christ. And the truth of the matter is that the church is being called in these last days to be a sower to go out into the world. Matthew chapter 13, sow seeds into God's field and he tells you what the field is. In the next previous verses when the disciples said, we don't understand it, he said the world is men's hearts. Sow seed into men and women's hearts. We gather into our churches and we pray prayers for the lost but we very seldom Sow any seeds in the hearts of men and women. There will be no harvest where there's no sowing. The success, the fruit, the accomplishments tied to kingdom advancement is all relied and tied up in the law of the harvest. Your future success is tied to the laws of the harvest. The truth is we reap only if we sow. Amen? Some people expect life and spiritual results just to happen. We have Christians 
who sit around, oh, my loved ones are going to be saved someday. And we sit for years waiting for them to be saved. And we do pray and we have to pray. But I want to tell you, faith without works is dead being alone. Sometimes you have to put legs to your prayers. Amen? And sometimes we just sit around thinking, oh, Brother Joe or Sister Susie or Grandma or Grandpa or whoever, they're going to come along, they're going to be saved, and they die, and, they, and everybody stands at their casting, casting, casket and wonders, did they really give their life to the Lord? Were they really Christian? And then they'll try to fabricate some kind of a memory that will validate hope to where they went to heaven. And the truth of the matter is, they're going to probably and will be lost unless someone sows some seed into their heart. You have to get out there and you have to make things happen. Your sons, your daughters, your friends, your neighbors are not just going to be saved by coincidence or by chance. God is calling this church to action. Oh, I'm about to get happy because I know what he's put into my spirit. If you don't like where your loved ones are at or where they're headed, then you have to do something about that. You don't like the way your neighbor's living. You don't like what's happening. You see his children and his, and his, and his, and his family falling apart because of sin. You, you, as a steward of your neighborhood, you got to do something about that. You can't just sit back in your, your house and just pray. And, and, and you can't just be good. That, that's part of it, building relationships. But somewhere down the line, you've got to set them down and you've got to give them some word and you've got to give them your testimony. Tell them your story about how that God saved you. Amen? Somewhere along life's journey, we all have reaped a harvest of neglect, of laziness, of slothfulness, of rejection where we've done nothing. We've all made mad decisions that, haven't been, that we, we haven't been proud of, but I want to give you a word of encouragement today. I feel like the Lord, through this series, is speaking a word of encouragement to the palace of praise. Normally, you will always reap in a different season than you sow. Realize that some harvest takes times. It's a process. It's a journey. That's the third element about the harvest. You sow in the spring, and you don't reap until the fall. Sometimes it's a journey. It's a, pro it's a process. However, this spirit has been saying to me, as I've been praying, I said, God, you have really put this on my heart at urgency to get an emphasis on the harvest. And I th when I look up, Steve asked me what I wanted for a background. I said, I want people. Because every one of those single so uh, individuals out there represent a soul. And that might be my brother, my sister, my grandmother, my friend, my neighbor that's in that crowd. Amen? And they're lost. And they're going to die. And they're going to go to hell without knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Without confessing Jesus. Without making a, a confession of faith, they're going to be lost. Can I have an Amen? And I got to thinking, Lord, why have you put it on my heart so urgent? And because the Lord said, there's going to be a harvest in the last days, and this is the last harvest before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, you, if you're blind if you can't see in Scripture of what timetable we're living on. Amen? Can I just get down here and preach to you just for a moment? Amen? You're blind if you don't see that we're at the threshold of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're blind if you can't see we're living in the last days. Learn a parable of the fig tree. While its green leaves are yet tender and while it's budding out, this generation shall not pass until all things become fulfilled. And he's talking about the prophetic word of Matthew chapter 24 of the second coming of Christ. He said, learn a parable of the fig tree. It's Israel. 
And he says, when you see Israel bud forth in its tender leaves, that was in 1948 when it became a nation. He said, when you see her rise up and come to life again and become a nation again, when I gather Israel from the four corners of the earth, which is a harvest unto itself and to Israel, look up because your redemption draweth nigh. That generation will not pass until all things be fulfilled. Sixty-some years has passed since then. We're at the midnight hour. I said, and God said, you got to get a harvest before the second coming. He wants all that can be saved, saved. But then he spoke to me. He said, but this generation will be different than any other generation that has ever lived. I said, in what way, God? He said, because they're at Amos that they're, that they're of the prophetic prophecy of Amos' generation. I said, okay, God, what does that mean? And he said that the plowman's going to be overcome by the reaper. That ain't come to pass yet. Man's out there plowing, and before he can ever even get the ground prepared, people are behind him sowing seed, and boom, harvest is coming right up. You sow in the spring, you reap in the fall, but in this generation, it ain't going to take a series of sermons. It isn't going to take years of prayers. It isn't going to take hours and hours and hours and weeks and months and all that to win them. It'll just be a, a kind word. It'll be a short prayer. It'll be a one sermon kind of a thing. There's going to be so many people come in in this last day harvest, it's going to blow our mind and we can't even we can't even comprehend of what God's going to do in the last day harvest. He's raising up churches, remnant churches that will declare the word of the Lord and as they preach, people are going to get up out of the pews and start running to an altar before the song service ever opens. They're going to be so wrapped, they're going to walk through the door and run to the altar and get saved before the service ever even starts. Hallelujah. But God's calling us to action. Now, I know there's going to be some cantankerous ones. I know there's going to be those that you're going to still have to pray a lot for. But as a whole, the Lord spoke into my heart and said, the reason I'm putting this on you is because you've got a short time to reap it. But also, it's overripe. The world is in turmoil. The world's in turmoil. Suicide, all-time high. Young men's hearts failing because of fear. Prophecy is happening right before us. Earthquakes, tsunamis increasing. They call it global warming problem. No, it's a sin problem. I wish I had time to preach right there. Amen. You want to know what I think about global warming? <laughs> I call it global sin. The earth is sick. It's polluted. It's sinful. Until the church prays and seeks his face, he can't heal the land. Oh, that's another story. Let me, I'm chasing a rabbit. 
I think I'm supposed to be on rabbits and I'm chasing deer right now. Hallelujah. We're living in a time that we got to understand there's an urgency upon us. We at the Palace of Praise have felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to say, hey, it's time that we quit worrying about us getting around an altar and being blessed all the time. Now, that's a wonderful thing. We need to ride the altars. We need to have experiences. We need to have encounters. But not in the replacing of making us feel good and spiritual when in reality we're not spiritual at all because we're not sharing our faith. Because we're not doing anything with what God's given us. And to whom much is given, much is required. Amen? There is a lost city here, folks. Amen? Pastors don't need to be chasing saints. He needs to be engaged in getting teams to win sinners. Amen? We as a church have got to prepare ourselves for about what's about to happen. But it will not happen if we don't make it happen. It's up to us. Those of us that's not sharing our faith, we need to really ask why. Well, I feel inadequate. Why do you feel inadequate? Well, I feel unworthy. Then what's in your life that's condemning you? Get it right. Amen? If there's something there condemning you, it's either a false condemnation or it's a guilt complex because you're doing things wrong and you know that you're not a witness for Christ. And because you feel condemned by your own actions, you won't witness. I've seen people who sit at a desk for 30 years with a group of people around them and those group of people around them never even knew they went to church and never even knew they were Christians. And even if they did know they, they were Christian by association, by name, and by church affiliation, that individual never one time witnessed to the people around them about the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's a disgrace. I said it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace when people have been saved for 20 years and they feel inferior to share the testimony of their salvation to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know the gospel message. If you've been saved for 20 years, you ought to know the gospel message. It's called maturity. It's called discipleship. Come on, somebody help me preach. Am I meddling? Am I too hard? No, I'm trying to engage the church into the heart of God. And when we do the very blessings that we desire, the very outpourings of the Holy Ghost that we want, the healings that we want, all are tied to the harvest. But we want all that absent from the harvest. And I used the scriptures last week. Is there no bomb in Gilead? What's gone wrong with the harvest? All those things that was harvested for the bomb. If there's no bomb, then what's gone wrong with the harvest? And why is my people not healed? I'm not going to go back and re-preach that. I think you got it last week. But the truth of the matter is everything we want to experience down here is tied to the law of harvest. That when we engage in the harvest, as the harvest comes in, the things we desire automatically happen. When we seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his will, all these other things fall into place. You don't have to beg for them. You don't have to plead for them. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Get about the Father's business. Because God gives the Holy Ghost to them that obey him. According to the book of Acts, you and I have got to become harvest-minded to where we take the time to share our faith. I believe as we start doing this, we're going to see instant testimonies. I mean instant testimonies. 
I thank God that on a regular basis around here, people are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. I thank the Lord for that. During elder time of prayer, during altar time after a service, during different times, we see people get saved here pretty regular, sometimes every service. But what's going to be more impressive is this when this body gets engaged and they just start telling a story and all of a sudden, Tears start streaming down someone's face. I want to be saved. And right there where they're at, they get saved. God wants that to begin to start happening in Pauper Bluff. And then I hear the words of the Lord. I love this. I hear the words of the Lord. To those of us that have failed, that we procrastinated, that we've sat there and we've been slothful, we've not been obedient, we've been neglectful, and we know we have without sharing our faith. I hear the Lord saying, all right, those things are past. Now, if you want a future, start sowing today of what you want it to be like five years from now. Start sowing new seed in the field. Because God's given us an opportunity. And God's saying, you, as a sowman, are going to experience things that no one else in the previous years of history has ever experienced because you're going to see instantaneous results. Hallelujah. You're going to see things that's going to blow the apostle Paul and Peter and all them their minds away because there's an Amos generation out there. And the prophetic word over them is that they're so ripe, so overripe that the plowman's going to be overrun by the harvest. It's going to happen so fast. And it's going to happen so speedily. Folks, this world is ripe. It's crying out. They may show resistance. They may argue with you and all that, especially if there's a crowd, if there's people around. But when they get you out to themselves, they're going to fall at your feet and they're going to weep. they got to say, we got to have help. When you're seeing the drug problem of the country, you know what the drug problem's all about? It's not people wanting to be on drugs. It's people searching for something. Well, they're in search, and we're going to show them the way. And they're going to get hooked on Jesus. Amen? I hear the word of Isaiah 53, verse 11, or 55 and 11. He said, the words out of my mouth, they will not be void. For it, that which I have sent it to do, it will prosper. In other words, that when I begin to come up to a sinner, and I begin to put words into that mind and in that heart, I put the law of harvest in action and I can expect a return. I can expect it. If I sow corn in the natural and I reap corn, it, I expect that, right? If I give an offering in an offering bucket, I expect a return. If I'm obedient and giving, God's going to bless me, right, Bob? Do you believe that? Yeah. If I go out here and so and bless somebody with a visitation, I expect when I get old, somebody's going to visit me. Amen? Amen. Right? How many believe in that? Then why can't we believe that when we sow seeds, though it seems like they're rejecting it, it's having an effect because the word of the Lord is not outdated. Would you stand with me, please? First of all, with every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to give an opportunity. If there's anybody lost in this place, we love you today. 
We want to give you the opportunity to come and meet the greatest Savior that you'll ever meet in your life. His name's Jesus Christ. We want you to understand that he'll give rest to the laden, heavy laden. We want you to understand he'll break the chains of oppression. He'll, cha he'll break the chains of depression off your life. He'll heal. He'll bless. He'll inspire. He'll save. If there's anybody here, I want you to come because I want to give you the opportunity this morning. That's, this whole series is about people like you. You're loved by this church and you're loved by me. And if you need to be saved this morning, I just want you to come up here right now in Jesus' name. I'm not going to hold long, but I want to give you the opportunity. Hallelujah. Is there anyone this morning? Now I want to give the opportunity for the church to obey the presence of the Lord today. I'd like for you right there where you're at, begin to say, Lord, forgive me of my slothfulness. Forgive me of my neglect. Forgive me that I've not sowed seeds into the field like I should have. Lord, help me to have wisdom and how to sow those seeds. But Lord, help me be a sower and help me sow seeds and help me reap a harvest. And ever who's on your mind right now, whether it be your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your friend, it's closest to you, I want you to start praying for that individual right now. I want you to ask the Lord to begin to put conviction upon them and get to prepare the heart and make a commitment in your heart to say, before this week is up, I'm going to make contact and I'm going to share my story with that individual. And just because you may not reap that individual today or with the day that you do it, that does not mean that you give up. you got to cultivate. you got to water sometimes. But God wants us to get serious about making things happen in the harvest. When we begin to put the, the sickle out there, when we begin to, begin to sow the seed, there's going to come a time when that Amos prophetic word will come into action. I don't know when that exactly is. It's upon this generation. Whenever God activates it, I know not. But I know that we're getting ready at the palace of praise to be blown away by multitudes of people that's going to be coming in. So would you pray with me? Father, right now, forgive us of being slothful towards the harvest. Help us, God, to understand that whatever we put into motion that we're going to reap, whether good or bad, but Lord, if we believe that we'll reap bad seed, if we sow bad seed, help us to believe also if we sow good seed, we'll reap good seed. Help us to understand the law of the harvest. Help us to understand also the future expansion, the future growth, the future, the future prosperity of this church is also dependent upon the harvest of souls that we gather into it and the families. Help us to know the benefits and the blessings that's tied to the harvest. The things that God that brings uh, that, that just are birthed out of the harvest is amazing. The bomb, the nourishment, the feeding, all of that kind of stuff that comes by harvest. But God, when there is no harvest, we try to make things happen and we don't get results because there's no harvest bringing in the fresh bomb and the fresh salve and the fresh anointing because the anointing is upon the harvest. And I ask you, help us, God, to get harvest-minded in everything we do. Help us to speak words in love and kindness. And help us to, Lord, win people to Jesus Christ. Help us to have courage to sow good seed in the field. And let, the, let us reap the benefits of those seeds in our lifetime that we may glorify you in it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you. Shake someone's hand. Hug someone's neck. And say, look at somebody and say, get engaged in the harvest. Amen. Challenge them.